Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. And for those of you hanging out in here, you can open your Bibles to Numbers 22. Probably a book of the Bible that you maybe don't open all that often. Looking forward to studying through this little section here in Numbers over the next number of weeks together. So just make sure it says Numbers at the top. I heard this week from someone who had said that they'd open the Bible to Numbers 22 and they started to read it. And they're like, what is he going to be talking about? All these different laws and weird things that are mentioned and then realized he was in Deuteronomy 22. And if you look at Deuteronomy 22, you'll see why he was confused as to why we were doing a series on that passage. But this passage is is like an insert into the story of Israel. And in some ways, if I just were to read verse one and start from there, it's like showing up in the middle of a movie and then asking questions to everyone else around you. Like, why are they there? Why is she saying, have you ever done that? You've been watching a movie and someone comes to join you. And then they just start asking you, why is that happening like that? You should have been here before. Like, stop asking me questions. Watch it yourself later. That's kind of what this would be if we don't do a little bit of background to get up to Numbers 22 here this morning. We got to figure out why they're here and what verse 1 says. Now, this past week on Tuesday, we were having a nice dinner together. And uh, we were talking about what we're going to do after dinner with, with the kids before bedtime And uh, everything was going very well until my wife looked around in the family room and saw Trey, my son, who's four years old. He was behind the couch, and he was just kind of looking at her. And he had that look that we knew he was doing something he shouldn't be doing. And sure enough, he thought it would be a fun activity after dinner to pee on my computer bag, my laptop bag. And so by the time we got to it, I got my computer. Of course, my zipper on my laptop bag was broken. So I get to it, I take out my laptop, and of course it is, you know, covered in stuff. And so it fried my motherboard. So it's been great this week, though, getting to write out a lot of what I've been doing. I I got an old computer and we're using it now. One of those things where, you know, when you have kids, it's very easy to grumble. And if I'm completely honest, on Tuesday evening, I was grumbling. I was pretty frustrated about that. You have kids, it's pretty easy to get frustrated. You got young kids, they're, they're wrecking the house. Some of you who have older kids, uh, the, the issues that they are going through are causing a lot of grumbling and frustration for you. It's very easy to get grumbled and to kind of get caught up into that. And, and sometimes what's, what we need to do in those kinds of times when we are frustrated, when things aren't going our way, is to kind of step back. And like we sang earlier, the 10,000 reasons We have so many reasons to thank God. We have so many reasons to rejoice. We have so many reasons to say, God, thank you for everything you have done. Even though I have all of this in my life that isn't going my way, thank you that I have water to drink and a roof over my head. And I have a family and a church family who loves me. We have so many things that we can be thankful for. As we come to Numbers 22, we're coming to a time in the history of the people of God where they had been camping, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I like camping, but 40 hours is enough for me. I don't know about you. How many of you like camping? Have you ever camped for like any extended period of time in like a tent? Maybe some of you have, some of you haven't. Like 40 days. Does anyone camp like 40 days in a tent? I can't imagine doing that. I have a house for that reason, so I don't have to do that. But you can imagine the frustrations that come after camping for 40 years. I mean, just imagine that you're a young person, you're trying to court, you're trying to date someone. Where are you going to take them on a date? Like, let's go to the movies. Oh, we can't do that. Let's go Edomite watching is pretty much all you have left to do is to kind of go on a hill and watch the other people's. The frustrations that would come with, with camping would have been, would have been huge. And, and despite what you see in the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, you kind of see the nation of Israel, and there's like 12 people at times. There would have been around two to three million people gathered together. It was said that when they camped and they went from one place 
That one place, it took two to three days to get everyone to pass by that one place. This is a very large nation that is a kind of nomadic type nation. They're wandering, they're camping from place to place to place. And it's very easy to get to a place of grumbling and complaining. So much so that, you know what we read over and over again in Israel's history as you read them wandering? Time and time again, even right from the Exodus, you hear them saying, I wish we were back in Egypt. To the point where you say, are you, are you kidding me? In Egypt, the people of God spent 400 years in slavery to Pharaoh. Brutal. And yet here they are wandering in the desert saying, I, I just want to be back there because at least we had food. And isn't that not so true of us that we all have this tendency to glorify the past, to only remember one part of the past and we glorify the entire past of that? We've got to check ourselves sometimes in that particular area. Our brains are really good at forgetting the bad, forgetting the not so good, and remembering the good. Or sometimes it can be the opposite of that as well. But for 40 years, here they are, camping from place to place. God promised Abraham he would take the people of God to the land of milk and honey, this land that they were longing to go to, and yet they just couldn't seem to get there. Time and time again, they're disobedient. Time and time again, they choose themselves over choosing to follow God. And, they're, and time and time again, God leads them elsewhere. I, wa I want you to step back and just imagine for a second, this is 40 years of wandering. This is a tent that they're setting up from city to city. Uh, imagine the blessings. Just, just think of the blessings they would have, though. And there's a point where they even grumble at one point. We're going to look at that passage in just a little bit. But they're camping for 40 years, and that seems rough. But now think of what, what's happening here. They have above them at night, pillar of fire. And they have above them in the daytime, cloud that leads them. They also have every single morning, food coming from heaven for them. Manna, like crispy creams, every single morning showing up for them. They have water that's coming from a rock to give them enough water in the desert for every single person and all of their livestock as well. And here they are grumbling, I just want to go back to Egypt. I'm sick of this manna. I understand you might be sick of Krispy Kremes if you had it every day for 40 years. But here they are grumbling and complaining when they could step back and say, wow, we have so much to be thankful for. I know life is hard here wandering, but we can count our blessings and name them one by one, and we can sing those out. But oftentimes, we don't see them doing that. Now, Numbers 21, if you, 22, I'm sorry, Numbers 22, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, and the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. Now, questions when you come to this passage, like I mentioned about showing up to a movie halfway through, why are they here? What's the significance of them being right here? And how did they get here? I just shared a little bit about some of their wandering in the desert, but how did they get to this point? Um, so I, I want to spend a little bit of time just, just rooting ourselves in Israel's history as we work through this text and then work through these three chapters that we are going to work through over the, past, uh, over the next number of weeks. Now, Genesis chapter 12 is where all of this is rooted from. And this is something we're going to hear over and over again, the same language in Genesis 12 is what we are going to read throughout this particular narrative. So this narrative, this story of Balak, Balaam, and this donkey that saves his life, it's all rooted in this promise that God made to Abraham. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So he's blessing him to be a blessing to the nations around. I will bless those who bless you, and with those you curse or those you dishonor, I, or those who dishonor you or those who curse you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to remember the lines and the words that you have just read. Because we are going to see those same lines being repeated, even in our passage today and then over the next number of weeks. And the question is going to kind of arise for us is, is God going to continue in fulfilling his promise? Is God still going to be able to do it in response, in response to the enemies around us? 
Is God still going to do this even though we are being disobedient? Is God still going to honor what he has said and this promise that he has made to Abraham? All of these questions are going to be answered for Israel, for the people of God, in this passage that we are going to be working through over the next number of weeks. Now, Genesis 12 onward, what we see is Abraham doing what God had asked him to do, leaving everything, going into the land that God will show him. And through the rest of Genesis, you see Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and then Jacob's sons. The story of Joseph comes out of from the story of Jacob's sons. And then you find after Joseph is raised in, 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 the, uh, Egyptian, in, in, in Egypt, um, after that, there's a Pharaoh that comes that does not remember Joseph. And the people of God are enslaved for 400 years. And that is very significant for what we are going to be studying through. Now, I just want to, and I, usually when I see maps on the screen, I think, oh, here, a map. But this is actually really, I think, helpful. So, so don't say, oh, map. We're going to look at this map. And I want to show you kind of what's happening here. And I have a little, I, I even have a little, um, what is it called? A laser point or whatever, something like that. So here we have up in Egypt, up here. So this is where the people of God are. God leads them out by Moses. You've probably watched the Ten Commandments. You've seen them do that. And often you, you wonder, why would he lead them this way? Why not? Because the land that God is leading them to is here, Canaan. This is the land that God has promised Abraham. is way up here. So why is God leading them this way? Why wouldn't he go this way? Does that not seem like the shortcut? Why not, why not take them this way? And, and Exodus 3 actually tells us why. It's because if you can see here, this is the land of the Philistines. And so God said that they would be discouraged by the war. And so he's going to lead them elsewhere. He's going to take the long way around. So often we want to take the shortcut, do we not? And yet God says, I have a different plan for you. It's going to take maybe a little bit longer than what you want it to take, but it's for your own good that I am leading you the long way and not the short way. And so here he takes them down here. And now down here, all the way down here is probably where Sinai was. And then God from, from there is when he speaks to the people. You know a lot of the stories of Moses on Sinai. The Ten Commandments are given. The people continue to grumble. They want to go back to Egypt. They start worshiping false gods. Happens over and over again. Now the book of Numbers goes on and records for us kind of what happens as they lead their way up here. And kind of this whole circle here, that's their wanderings that's happening. And I want you, if you can read that, that says the wilderness of Zin. I want you to keep that in mind because that's going to play a role in what we are going to be looking at here in just a little bit. All right, so that's kind of the map. So then where they are in Numbers 22, when it says that they're camped on the Jordan across from Jericho is way up here. So they've already gone all of this way, and now they're right here, camped right across the Jordan from the land that God is going to give them. So I just wanted you to get a visual from that. And I want you to remember as well, because these nations are going to play a big role in this as well. We got Midian, we got Edom, we got Moab, we got uh, right here the Canaan, and then just above us here is the Amorites, which is also going to play a role. And all of these nations, essentially God is going to lead his people, but then all these nations are going to be in the way. And we're going to see them play an important role as we work through this as well. Now, before they get to this point, I hope I haven't lost you yet. <laughs> I know it's a lot of information. I think it's really helpful to see it, to visualize it. I want you to visualize it as you see them wandering, as you imagine them wandering. I want you to flip your Bibles back to Numbers 13, just for a quick second. Numbers 13 is a passage when people of God are camped out and they send spies into the land. And it's a story of 12 spies being sent out from the people of God and they go out to spy out the land that God has given to them. And the journey they would have taken would have been uh, up, just straight up, if, kind of on the left side of the water there to go, to go up to Canaan. And they go to spy out the land. And you remember they come back with this kind of report that isn't exactly positive report. And in verse uh, 27 of Numbers 13, it says, so these spies come back and it says this, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So this is great land. Verse 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. These are the, the giants that are among them. So here they are getting this news. Ten of the spies come back. We, if we were to keep reading on, we could. We're not going to. If we keep reading on, what we find out is these ten spies bring a bad report. These ten spies lead all the people to complain, all the people to say, why did God bring us here? And again, a little bit later on in, verse four, in chapter 4, 
15, they grumble again to go back to Egypt. Why would God bring us here only to be defeated now by these other people? They lose faith in God. They lose faith in God being able to deliver them out of the hands of the Anak, of the, of the giants that are in this land. And so if you remember the story as it follows, those 10 spies who come bringing that negative report and all the people of God who believe this report, God says to them, I'm not going to let you enter the land. Because of your grumbling, because you've lost faith in me, I'm going to wait until the next generation comes before I take people of God, my people, into this land that I've promised. So none of you are promised. None of you are going to see this land that I've promised through Abraham, except for the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who came back with positive reports. Now, what's interesting is, just Numbers 14, just really quick, because this is the report. So all, all these 10 spies give this negative report. Joshua, however, says in verse 7 of 14, the land which we passed through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. So his response is, yes, it is a dangerous place, but it is a good place too. And if God wants us to have it, then we are going to have it. Why do you not trust God? Let's trust God. The people don't. They lose faith. And then God says, another generation is going to come who is going to get to enter the land. None of you are going to get to see it. I want you to fast forward now to Numbers 20. Numbers 20 starts off with the death of Miriam. And what that is a signal of, that's a signal of the old generation starting to pass away. If the end, look, and then the end of chapter 20 is the death of Aaron. And so now we have these, the death of Mary and the death of Aaron. And so we're getting this signal by, by Moses, whoever, or whoever it was who did write numbers, that this old generation is passing up. There's a new generation that's coming. And so there's this kind of excitement that should come, that the time is almost here, that God is going to lead us into this land. Chapter 20 in Numbers kind of brings us back to, look at verse 1. The people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin. It's the same place that they were when they sent out the spies in Numbers 13. So now they've come full circle. They're back now in chapter 20 to where they were when they complained and then they wandered out. And then God kind of told them what he told them back in Numbers 13. So here's the stage is set. Now, not chapter 20 and 21 give us kind of a picture of some obstacles that are first in the way, uh, though they didn't need to be obstacles. And those nations that you saw around, uh, there's the Edomites, there's the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, probably all words that you don't normally say on a, on a, on a typical basis. But all of these nations, God says to the people of God, he says to Israel, says to Moses, when you go through these lands, don't provoke them. Just walk through, go through into the land I'm going to give you. And the reason for, and Deuteronomy says, the reason for it is because these are your kinship. The Edomites, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, these are all like cousins to Israel. So they're all your cousins, don't, don't touch them. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. The Amorites were descendants of Ham, Noah's son. The Ammonites and Moabites were descendants of Abraham's nephew, Lot. And the two, two daughters that Lot had, Ammon, Ammon, and Moab. The Canaanites were descendants of Abraham's wife, Keturah. And she had uh, a son named Midian. So all of these are like, imagine that kind of family reunion with the Amorites, the, 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 all these people all gathered together with the Israelites to celebrate all the past. That's just not how it worked. All these nations had since then turned away from God and had began to worship other gods, every one of them. Uh, some of the practices in some of these nations was absolutely brutal. But God says to his people, when you travel through into the land that I am giving you and you travel through these nations, don't touch them. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't start a fight with them. Just ask them to go through. Now, in, in, in chapter 20, you can see, maybe if you have a heading, it says, Edom refuses passage. So Moses comes to the king of Edom and says, can you let us come through? We're, we're just going to go through your land. And the king of Edom says, no, you're not. Moses said, well, well, wait, I know it's the 401. The king's highway is what he asked to go on, but we'll treat it like the 407. We'll pay you for anything that happens along the way. So any water that we drink, any livestock that we take along the way, we will reimburse you for anything so it doesn't cost you anything. And the king of Edom says, no. 
And the king of Edom gets an army together and attacks Israel. Israel flees, and they decide that they're going to go around Edom. And that's just what they're going to do. They're not going to attack Edom. God said not to, so they're going to go around. And that's going to play a role into more grumbling that is going to start. Chapter 21 opens now with another king, king of uh, the, a Canaanite king who attacks Israel. Again, Israel doesn't go after them. Canaanite king attacks them, but then God, they, they, they cry out to God in prayer. God shows them mercy and he delivers them from the hand of the Canaanites at the beginning of chapter 21. Then you have this very interesting story in chapter 21 of the bronze serpents. And uh, let's just kind of read it. I hope you have your Bibles. If you don't, it's going to be hard to follow along. Even if you pull out your phone and follow along, you're welcome to do that. But Numbers 21 says, From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea, go around the land of Edom. So remember what just happened with Edom. Now they're going to go around the land. Even though there's a highway right through Edom that would have been an easy path for them to take, but instead they got to go around into the wilderness, much tougher terrain And it says, the people became impatient along the way. Some translations say, because of the way. Because of the way, because of how difficult it was, they became impatient. And they, verse 5, spoke against God, against Moses, and then against his provision. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Does that sentence not sound like your kid opening up your pantry? There's no food in here. Look at all the food. Well, I don't like any of that food. That's like what they're doing here. There's no food, there's no water, but there is food. They just loathe these Krispy Kremes. Verse six goes on. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take the serpents away from us. And you think by now, Moses would be like, guys, I've given you how many chances? And now you want me to pray again? Maybe I'll pray about praying for you. But you're on your own on this one. That's not what Moses does though. Moses, this this group of people that are constantly harassing him, constantly complaining and grumbling. Why did you bring us out here? Moses intercedes, he prays. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who's bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Bronze is a medal of judgment. A bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now you read that passage and you think, that is strange. That is bizarre. Why would God do this? Make make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole. If you look at this bronze serpent, you may live. And you read a story like that, and you're like, wow, that, that that is very strange. So why would he do that? Now, it's very interesting. What what happens when they look at the serpents? Here they are dying from these serpent bites. The temptation is to try to fix the problem yourself, is it not? Let's go try to develop some... Some snake venom, some, something that can, some, something that can uh, save us. Some, and yet, by looking at the pole with the bronze serpent raised up, they were choosing to trust God in the way of salvation that He has made. So, rather than look to themselves for an answer, God says, "Look to the way of salvation that I have provided for you." Look to this bronze serpent. Now, what's interesting is, as you continue to read through Israel's history. Hezekiah, when he became king, had to destroy this bronze serpent because the people began to worship it. Um, They began to burn incense to it. So Hezekiah had to literally destroy this. And it's the same thing that so many people do today. They find these relics. They were treating this bronze serpent like a relic. You know, you, you can go in places and here's a piece of John the Baptist's hair or a cloak that one of the disciples had and people worship these things. And so they began to worship this bronze serpent. Now, what's other, the other thing that's very interesting about this particular story that sheds light into what was happening here is the most popular verse in the entire Bible is what? What do you see held up on signs at sporting events? John 3.16. I can see some of you saying it. You're like, I don't, I don't know if that's really it. But it is. John 3.16. John 3.16 is rooted in this story. John 3.16, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I know that there's something different about you because a regular person can't do what you do. Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus is confused by this. He's an old man. How can I be born again? Can I enter my mother's womb again and then come back out? Like, how does this work? And Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. That all who look to him will have eternal life, will be safe. The next line, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would parent, who, wow, how did I forget this verse? I just, <laughs> whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life, would have everlasting life. That passage is rooted here in Numbers 22. And it's so true today, how often we ourselves look to ourselves to find a solution to our problems instead of turning to the God who says, look to me and you can be saved. Look to me, trust me, trust the way that I have provided for you. And yet so many people are looking all around in the things of this world. Same things we studied as we looked through Ecclesiastes of looking for money and sex and all of these things of this world to try to find something for themselves that will fill that hole that they know that exists within them. When the invitation in the word of God by God himself is to look to the son who's raised up on the cross and there you will find, there will you, you will find the answer that you are looking for, peace for your soul. There you will find salvation, eternal life. So look to him. And so this great story in Numbers 13, which sounds very bizarre, but then Jesus uses to then point to himself. Now, we, we talked a lot about Israel grumbling, grumbling, and grumbling. They keep grumbling over and over and over again. Now we're getting this picture of a different generation that's come because they've messed up, but rather after they messed up and they knew these serpents that came were punishments by God to them, rather than try to fix the problem, they repented. They came to Moses and said, we're sorry. We, we know that we sinned. That's the first point that every one of us needs to come to when we look to the Son of Man lifted up on the cross to recognize that we are sinners and repent and not try to look for a solution ourselves. But then we also see them in this next section for the first time in 40 years. This is the first passage that records the people of God singing. Finally, they're singing. And here it is when God gives them verse 16. This is kind of referring back to when Moses strikes a rock and out of the rock, water comes out enough for their livestock, enough for everyone to have something to drink. Verse 16, when they continue there to beer, now that's not Molson, that's a well. So a place where Moses hit a rock and water came out. When they turn to that place, it says, gather the people together so that I may give them water. And then Israel sang this song, spring up, oh well. That sound familiar? We just sang that song together. That's the first song that Israel sang in 40 years that's recorded for us in God's word. The first song, Spring Up, O Well. Thank you, God, for the water that you have provided. And the song that we just sang, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. That song is now taken from this passage as, as, as the people of God praise God for the water he provides. And we see what Jesus has done for us as the living water who, who, when we know Jesus, gives us that which we will never thirst again, not physically, but spiritually. Again, we look to so many different wells to be able to quench our spiritual thirst. And yet the answer is right here in the word of God as to where you can have that spiritual thirst quenched. And that is through Jesus Christ, by knowing Jesus. And that's what we just sang about in a, little, a little while ago. After that, there's a couple of other kings that are now attacking Israel as well, the Amorites. And again, the exact same thing happens with Edom, with the Amorites. Uh, he, he comes to the king and says, let us just pass through. Moses comes to the king, let us just pass through. We won't touch anything. We won't wreck anything. We just want to go through. We have no, no quarrel with you. And the Amorite king says no and attacks them. And God gives them the victory. And then the, the Ammonites. And then you see at the end of chapter 21, King Og. And it says in verse 34, the Lord said to Moses, because here, here there's one last king who's now getting ready to attack them. And this is Og, the king of Bashan. It says, but the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have given it into your hand. Now, what is interesting about that is we know a little bit about this King Og. And what we know about this King Og is what Deuteronomy tells us. And he was a very large man. And, and it describes for us the size of his bed. His bed was 16 feet wide by six feet. 
So, you know, there's king-size beds, there's California-size beds, and there's also Ammonite king-size beds. And that's the 16-footers. So if you want a big mattress, go into a mattress store and say, could I have the Ammonite king-sized bed, please, and see what they say to you. But 16 feet wide. So he was a big man. He was a powerful man. And the Lord says, do not fear. I've already given them to you. Now, what's interesting here is this is written in the past tense, yet it hasn't happened yet. And that's because, because God's word has decreed it, it will come to pass. There's no question about it. He writes it in the past tense as if it's already happened. And that's exactly what happens. The king of Og, he, they attack, and then Israel is given the victory by God. Verse 1 of chapter 22, then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab behind, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. So that just brought us up to this point. I hope that wasn't too much, but I hope it provides now. You're going to understand this story just a little bit more because now what we are going to see, if you read that verse and skipped ahead to chapter 25, it would flow. And so what we are seeing is the rest of 22, 23, and 24 is an insert in the text. And what we are getting is a behind-the-scenes look. As all of this is going on, here's what was going on behind the scenes that Israel didn't even know about at the time. So here's another king, King Moab. Here it goes on to say in verse 2, and these passages I put on the screen. Verse 2, And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was in great dread of the people because there were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. Now, that's almost a soft way of saying it. Literally, it says they were barfing in fear. They were throwing up in fear is what it literally is saying here. That's how afraid they were. And so Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all that's around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. Now, what's interesting here is that word lick up. The horde will lick up. That is almost the same word as Balak. Balak means devastator or lick up or kind of lay to waste. And so here Balak is saying out of his mouth, this one who is given the name devastator is now, this Israel is going to devastate us. I want you to imagine and seeing maybe why Balak may have felt like this. Imagine what Balak would hear from his intel. So he's the king of Moab. They're now camped on the plains of Moab. God said, don't touch Moab. Don't provoke them to, to a fight. But here they are. And the king of Moab would have seen and heard the victories that their God had given them, the intel that's looking over into the campsite of two to three million people. And what do they see there? At night, a pillar of fire. At day, a cloud over top. They see food being given to them every single morning. They see water coming out of a rock that's giving them a river with enough water to feed all two to three million people who are there. What are you going to think? You are going to think right away, they have a powerful God and their God is with them. And that's what Balak looks on and sees. He hears of the mighty works of their God. He sees these visible demonstrations of God being with them. And Balak is in great fear. He's afraid. And I want you to just, just imagine your own life just for a moment. We don't have a pillar of fire or a cloud that guides us. These were beautiful things for the people of God, things that led Israel. That Literally, it says when the fire moved, when the pillar of fire moved, when the cloud moved, Israel knew it was time for them to move. Very vivid picture of God being their leader, the one who leads them and guides them. And then, I just lost my train of thought, <laughs> Mike there. Very, we don't have that today, but we do have the word of God. If you know Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living in you. And so I guess that a good question would be, when others look on at your life, would they have the same kind of response Balak had to the people of God, that surely God must be with them when they look at your life? Do they look at your life and see the way you live, see the way you love, see the way you show grace to someone else and say, wow, God must be with them. There is something different about them is an important question for us to be wrestling with. When someone shows up on a Sunday morning here, 
Do they look around and say, wow, God clearly must be here with this people. Balak sees this. He's filled with great dread. And now what is ironic about this whole thing, that, that you know, the original audience that's reading this, um, how this story came out to Moses, who was able to write it down, we don't really know how all of that came down. But at the time, they had no idea this was happening. Now, the other thing that Balak had no idea of that I just mentioned earlier was he had no idea that God had spoken to God's people, to Israel, and said, don't touch Moab. And how often it is that so much of the way that we, and we, we can look at Balak and give him a hard time for this, kind of laugh at him, but we do the same thing all the time. How much of the decisions that we make and the fear that we have is rooted not in what is true? There's so much that we fear that we would not fear if we truly believed the truth, if we knew the truth. If we knew what God had said, we would have nothing to fear in so many different situations in our life. They had nothing to fear. It was completely unwarranted. Had he known the truth, he would have known he had nothing to fear. Everything that we are going to read about in chapter 22 to 24 was completely unnecessary and would never have happened. All the heartache, all the frustrations, all the fear that Balak faced Never would have happened had he known what God had said. And how true that is in our own lives, in so many different areas. Balak was acting off of assumption. He was assuming because he had, he had heard the intel of all that they had done, all the other nations that they had destroyed. He's acting on assumption, and it leads him to irrational things and Again, we, give him, we can give him a hard time in doing this, and yet we do the same thing all the time. We base decisions we make on assumption all the time. Oh, this person doesn't even like me. They're talking behind my back. Are they? Thank you so much for listening. If my wife, my husband, when he or she did this, word, we'd love for you to connect with us on me. social media and let us know. You can find us Were on they, Facebook really? and Instagram at SC This church that I go London. Longer wants to be about the Bible. Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. Really? God bless. So often we act based on assumption. And we need to guard ourselves from doing that and instead act on what we know is true. Those things may be true, but let's make sure we know they're true before making any kind of response to that. So Balak, he acts on assumption. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, fear and anxiety don't change what happens tomorrow. They only rob today of its strength. It doesn't change what happens. It just robs us. And for him, he's, he's all worked up with this fear and this anxiety, though he never had to. Now, let's continue reading. The second part of verse 4. So Balak... The son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river. Now, that's the Euphrates River, in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him saying. Now, we're not going to look at what he says yet, but I want to talk a little bit about this Balaam character, because he's a, he's a unique one. He's, a, he's almost a bit of a conundrum, and as we study through it, you're going to kind of see why I say that. Now, Balaam, his name appears about 59 times in the Bible. Now, that sounds a little misleading because a lot of them are right here. But the rest of the Bible talks a lot about Balaam. In fact, Balaam is talked about more than the mother of Jesus, Mary. Balaam's talked about a lot in the scripture. I think it's important to understand what's happening here. Now, every time he is spoken about, he's spoken about in a very negative light. He's spoken about in, in Deuteronomy and Joshua, spoken about Nehemiah, spoken about in Peter and Jude and Revelation as well. And every one of those times he's spoken about as someone who is a lover of money, who is driven by greed, who is immoral in the way that he acts. So that's going to give us a picture because you're going to read this. You'll be like, well, he seems like a good guy. Seems like he's trying to do a good thing. And yet what the rest of scripture is going to help us see is there's a little bit more to his motives than maybe what you might realize upon kind of a surface reading of Numbers 22 to 24. So he, he was a, he's a bit of a conundrum, but at the same time, the rest of scriptures helps us see that he was a man driven by greed, driven by um, money. Uh, now, Balaam is from Pethor, he says here. Now, why would he tell us this? Uh, there's a lot of reasons why he would tell us this. Now, Pethor says near the Euphrates. Uh, it's up north in Mesopotamia, and it's very close to Haran. Now, does that sound familiar to you? 
Haran is where Abraham, around the area where Abraham was from. So Balaam is from the same area, very close to where Abraham was from. So what that tells us is Balaam would have almost certainly, especially as the kind of person that he was, been very familiar with Israel's God. And so that's going to help us understand what we're going to read in just in the coming weeks. He would have been very familiar with the the stories of Israel and and what God has said. Um, Because Abraham, as he was passing through, would have passed through the town where Balaam lived. Now, another little tidbit about Balaam. Balaam would have been a Mesopotamia Baru. Baru was like, think of like a sorcerer or witch doctor kind of person. Um, And then Pethor was known for these particular Barus. But they like black magic, diviners, sorcerers. Um, They use incantations. They use spells. uh, They use omens. And he was one of those guys that became internationally famous because of how good he was at doing this. So this is Balak saying, there's a, uh, an enemy that I cannot defeat physically, so I'm going to call in the big guns spiritually to see if they can help me out. Someone who's familiar with their God, who can put a curse on their God so that I have a chance against this God who I have to now be up against. Now, Abaru wasn't a worshiper of one God, but of any God he would, he would work for or against any God for a price. You give him some money, and he'll do everything he can to work against that God. And some of the practices they would do, they would take oil, they'd dump it in water, and how that oil formed, they would see that as direction from the gods. So think of like tarot reading and that kind of a thing. One of the practices they were most known for was taking an animal, sacrificing that animal, cutting it open, and how the liver fell was a was was what... God was saying what the God was saying to them, the gods were saying to them. So just however the liver opened, interesting, the liver where the blood is filtered through. But here it is, however the liver opened, this is what God was saying. This is the direction you need to take. So you can see the kind of guy that he was. He was evil. Practicer of kind of black magic, very new age, uh, very evil. Now, the other point I want to to make is Balaam. The name Balaam means destroyer of people. So now we have Balaam being called on by Balak. Balak meaning, remember I told you earlier, devastator. So we have the devastator, powerful king, and the destroyer, this powerful Baru, going up against the people of God. Going up against the God of the heavens and the earth. So it's setting us up for this battle. But this battle against, is God going to still be able to be faithful to what he has said in Genesis chapter 12 when he promised Abraham to send them into the land? And so there's this kind of showdown that is coming for us. Now, knowing all of this, remember the background in Genesis 12? Here is what Balak sends these messengers to go say to Balaam. Behold, a people, this is in the middle of verse 5. Behold, a people that's come up out of Egypt, they cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. This is what Balak says of Balaam. Does that sound familiar to you, though? What is beautiful about these words is they are reminders. What what is he saying here? They cover the face of the earth. What are we seeing? We're seeing God's promise to Abraham already coming to fruition. They cover the face of the earth, just like God promised to Abraham. And now he says, Balaam, I want you to curse them. I want you to put a curse on them. It's almost like God would read that and say, wait a second, that's my line. And Balaam, that's not going to be true of Balaam but that is going to be true of me. I think you're going to, you know who's going to win in the end, and there's going to be this story that follows, which is the showdown between the devastator and the destroyer teaming together to go against the, Israel's God to put a curse on them. And so the question is, what's going to happen when this happens? We're going to read through some of that and start that next week, but some beautiful reminders within that that God is already fulfilling the promise to Abraham. So a little glimpse of maybe what you are going to see in the Sundays ahead. Now, just a couple of things. Now, as like an overarching theme over every single week is going to be the series title that we've had. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Every single week, we are going to see over, kind of like an umbrella over the whole passage, that if God is for us, there's literally no one who can be against us. There's no power in hell that can stop God from doing what he is going to do. And that's going to provide incredible insurance for the people of God here. And I pray will provide for us incredible assurance as we go into our world. And oftentimes we can have almost this defeatist attitude. When we look at what's happening in the world, we can get so discouraged seeing people so far from God and governments making decisions that are anti-God. And we can look at that and be just defeated and feel like, what are we going to do in the face of all of this? And yet this is going to remind us that if God is for us, which he is, And what he said he is going to do, he is going to do. And we can stand on that 100%. We can move forward into the future, not in fear, but in boldness, knowing that God will do what he said he will do. So that's an umbrella over everything. Now, a few things that we can learn uh, just from today, because there's a lot of lessons that I've just kind of shared with you a little bit, principles that we can take from this passage. And I just want to go over some of them just very quickly. The first one is this, and I put them on the screen. Knowing the truth protects us from unnecessary fear. We talked about that with Balak. None of this would have happened if Balak only knew the truth. And I pray that you understand this truth as well, that knowing the truth, knowing the word of God, knowing what God has said and what he has promised is going to protect us from a lot of unnecessary fear, going to protect us of a lot of of unnecessary anxiety. And so kind of a question to come out of this is, you know, Balak was acting on assumption rather than the truth. And is there any area in your life where you are acting on assumption rather than the truth. And it's causing you to do some pretty silly things like Balak does here. All of this would have been avoided for Balak had he known the truth. So do you know the truth? Secondly, we are in a spiritual war and we see this with Balak. Balak looks at this army, this enemy, not not even an army, just the people of God who are camped, who have no business, they have no interest in fighting them. Yet they're looking on and he realizes by everything that he sees that his physical army has no chance against a God who does that for them. And so he ups it to the spiritual level. We can learn from Balak that, that even some of the physical challenges that we face have spiritual components to them. This is why in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's telling us to put on the full armor of God, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness, that there is evil that is at work in the world, and we are in a spiritual war. And so just as Balak ups the ante by calling on Balaam, so there are challenges that we face every single day that we would do well to stop fighting in our flesh and instead get on our knees and commit to the Lord and say, I know I cannot win this battle on my own. I need your help for this, God. Number three, even when we are unfaithful and grumble against God, he is faithful. I love this. We're going to see this over and over again in the people of God's history. They're grumbling. They don't deserve this. They don't deserve salvation. They deserve to die for what they've done. And yet God, time and time again, shows them mercy. Time and time again, shows them grace. And we get that glimpse that these people, they cover the face of the earth. And even with all the grumbling that they've done, God has still been faithful to his promises. Don't you love the fact that God's faithfulness to his promises isn't based on your faithfulness? It's not conditional upon you being faithful to him, yet he is still faithful to us despite, not because of, but despite who we are and the decisions that we make. And then number four, God is in control and working behind the scenes, even when we aren't aware of it. And this is something that's going to, I would say, as the people of God were reading this story afterwards, telling about the entire, they realized that this entire time when they were camped, they had no idea Balak was doing this. They were just going about their life, oblivious to the spiritual attacks that were being worked up against them. And yet God protects them all along the way. And, and, and I hope that you have, that you can recognize that in your life, that there is much that we don't see. There is much that you are not aware of. There are things that God has protected you from that you have no idea that he's even protected you from. And we can learn that right here in this story of Balak and Balaam. That God is in control. He is on his throne. 
He's working behind the scenes, even when you are not aware of it, even when you don't see it. He is sovereign over it all, and I pray that today you would take hope in that and stand on that truth, knowing that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of opening up your word and having you speak to us through it. And even this story of a pagan diviner who is summoned by a pagan king to fight against your people, that we can learn from this and that we can see your power at work and your grace and your mercy every step of the way toward a people that were disobedient to you over and over and over again. Father, I pray that as we work through this series together over the next number of weeks, that you would continue to speak to us, knowing that when you go before us, when you lead us, that we have nothing to fear, that you are the God of angel armies. You are the God who is sovereign over it all. And knowing that you go with us, may that spur us on to go boldly into this city and across the globe with the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done. So God, thank you for all of these truths that we've seen today in your word. And thank you for the privilege we have now of singing about them as we close our service. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless. God bless.